Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In today's episode, after another Grand Prix where Max Verstappen, the world champion, fails to finish, we're talking about the importance of reliability, both in terms of F1, but also in our everyday lives. Plus how a lesson I learned in the pit lane has helped me to parent my own children this week. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Thank you so much for joining wherever you are in the world and however it is you're listening, whatever it is you're up to whilst listening to this. I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you once again for all the messages that I've received over the course of the last week telling me how you've enjoyed last week's episode and any previous episodes you've listened to. Every one of those messages means the world and I will do my very best and I am still doing my very best to respond to every single one of you. So please keep those coming. Thank you. In this week's episode, we've got a few things to cover. We've just spent the weekend, or I've spent the weekend, watching and even for me commentating on the Australian Grand Prix for the BBC. A real privilege for me that was to be part of it. I love talking about Formula One, as you guys know, and I'll happily do it as long as anyone's willing to listen. So for somebody to ask me to come and talk all the way through the Australian Grand Prix weekend was a real honour. But I spent that weekend talking about this battle between Ferrari and Red Bull. Who was going to come out on top? Two cars very evenly matched in terms of pace for most of the weekend. But the big difference between the two now is that one has finished every one of the three races we've had so far, and one of those cars has only finished one of those three races. Max Verstappen now failed to finish in two out of the three rounds that we've had in 2022, and the one race where he did get to the chequered flag... He got there first. He won the Grand Prix. So that car is fast, but potentially fragile. And that's where I wanted to talk about the subject matter today. This idea of reliability and fragility in an otherwise very, very quick, high-performing package of the Red Bull. The Red Bull and the Ferrari have very different characteristics, and yet the lap time is very, very similar when they really push for it. And yet, Charles Leclerc and his Ferrari is already holding a a substantial lead in the championship, albeit early on, because their main rival so far, Red Bull Racing, and particularly Max Verstappen, have had these reliability problems. And so it calls this idea into question. And we talked about this a few podcasts ago, where there's always a trade-off in Formula One, didn't we? We talked about there's always a compromise to be had. When it comes to downforce, downforce typically comes with a drag penalty that slows you down on the straight. So you have to find the compromise of the best balance between downforce, which you need to generate that grip through the corners, and trade that off against the drag penalty that slows you down on the straights. Now, Ferrari seem to have a car which much, with much higher downforce and also higher drag. They're not as quick on the straights. The Red Bull... Lower downforce car, lower drag, which makes them much faster come the end of the straights and the speed traps. They're both generating very similar lap times, but doing it in very different ways. Their focus has been on slightly different areas. But has the focus at Ferrari been even more on reliability? Have they paid more attention to detail in the assembly of their car, in the design of their car, in the way their car operates to make sure that it always gets to the end. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions over Red Bull because I don't know the reasons yet for their failures. But to have two failures, significant failures on Max Verstappen's car out of three races, plus another one on Sergio Perez's car in round one as well, that's starting to show a bit of a trend. And that trend is a trend towards a fragile car, a fragile set of systems on the car a car that suffers with some form of reliability, perhaps even more than one form of reliability. Now, where does that come from? Does that come from focus being put too much on the outright performance of the car 
and then for maybe a little bit of the eye taken off the ball when it comes to reliability. When you're starting to make a quick car, and this comes in the same way we just talked about downforce and drag, those same compromises happen all over the Formula One car, of course. Teams are always looking to make Formula One cars lighter. A lighter car tends to be a faster car. Particularly in 2022, lots of the teams are struggling to get down to the new minimum weight limit for this season. And so they're looking for ways to save weight, to take away mass from their cars and try and bring that overall weight down of their package. Now, it's very easy to save weight on a Formula One car. You can use different materials, lighter materials. You can use thinner gauge materials. You can literally take material away from elements like the chassis, the wishbones, the wing structures. But those components also have to satisfy the need to deal with a certain amount of loading. A front wing has a huge aerodynamic load upon it at high speed. And so if you start taking material away and making that thinner and therefore lighter, you then start to run the risk of reliability coming becoming an issue. You start to breach that threshold between outright performance and fragility. The teams, of course, are always looking for the balance between the two, the one that keeps them the right side of the line. Because if you push your Formula One car too much towards high performance, if your sole focus is on getting that car quicker and quicker and quicker, lighter and lighter and lighter, eventually what you'll do is you'll find a point in that balance between the two, in that threshold, somewhere near that threshold between performance and reliability, Take the front wing example, for example, if you keep making that front wing thinner to make it lighter, therefore to make the car faster, you'll reach a point where most of the time it will deal happily with the loads that it sees on a regular basis around a Grand Prix weekend. You'll perhaps run simulations and you'll run tests and in the most part, the wing will deal with those loads and survive at that lighter, thinner production spec that you've ended up at. However, when you get very close to that threshold, the nearer you get to that fine line between reliability and performance, the more chance you are of an anomaly happening. On the odd occasion, the lack of reliability kicking in and you ended up with a failure. Most of the time, it may well be fine, but on one or two occasions, it won't be fine and that could then cost you a Grand Prix. You might find that you go to a circuit where the loads on a front wing spike at one particular area around the lap that you maybe weren't expecting. And it could be that, just an extra couple of miles an hour of speed along the straight that tips you over the edge of that line from having a safe, reliable, high-performance car to one that has a failure of reliability and then you end your race very, very abruptly. Now, the reason that I want to bring this up, the reason I'm talking about this is not to, as I say, cast aspersions on Red Bull. I have no idea what their failures were from a real deep technical perspective or why they might have happened. I don't know if there's a systemic problem at Red Bull around focus on reliability and performance. I'm using this simply as an example because what I want to talk about is that same kind of trade-off from a human perspective. Because... How many people around the world are searching, chasing high performance in whatever form that looks like to you? It could be at work. You could be starting a business or running your own business. Entrepreneurs are classic examples of this. They push themselves so hard because they are the ones who make all the big decisions. They're the ones who have the most influence over their own company. No one else is going to work as hard as they are to generate the success in that business that they're looking for. But individuals do the same sort of thing. You might be one of those people that's going through a health kick. You might push yourself really hard at the gym because you want to get fit or that you want to build muscles. You're pushing, pumping iron, working out constantly because you're looking for some end goal of a big muscular body. Whatever it might be, when you start to push yourself too hard. Of course, the same principle applies to the one that I just described on the Formula One car. Parents do this a lot. Some parents feel like they're forced into this. Some parents with multiple kids, perhaps not enough income 
find themselves in very difficult situations where they are working a job, maybe even two jobs, and yet also somehow having to manage a household, to manage children. It becomes incredibly difficult. That's a real life challenge for a lot of people. And sometimes it means sacrificing other areas of your life. Free time for yourself is the first thing to go as a parent. And then it starts to encroach on things like sleep, meal times. Are you starting to cut out eating healthily, living healthily? Are you not getting enough sleep because once the kids have gone to bed, you've got to stay up late to carry on with some other work. You've got to go to your second job, working in a bar, whatever it might be. People all around the world push themselves way beyond the safe limits of their own human performance, of their own human body. Limits that they don't necessarily know about until they see the failure. And I think we've probably all been guilty of this at some stage. I know I've been guilty of it a number of times. Particularly when it comes to chasing a dream, when it comes to searching for something that you are craving in terms of a career or a goal in life. We're often told we've got this narrative running through society that you have to really work hard. You have to stay up till 2am hustling away to, to get what you want in business or in life. And then you've got to be back up again at four or five o'clock in the morning to do your yoga, your meditation, get out to the gym and all the other things that everybody tells you you should be doing. I mean, if you follow that simple guideline, there's only about three or four hours left where you possibly could sleep. It's not enough. Now, I'm not saying hard work, dedication, sacrifice are not fundamentals to achieving the goals you might want to set yourself in life. They absolutely are. I don't know anybody in this world who's been hugely successful without an enormous amount of hard work and sacrifice to get to the point where we probably all look at them and say, wow, aren't they amazing? Haven't they achieved some incredible things in life? I wish I was that lucky. They weren't lucky. They worked for it. They worked hard for it. But I've no doubt that on a number of occasions, in fact, I know for a fact on a number of those occasions, because I've read studies on a lot of this stuff, some of the world's biggest high achievers are the very same people that pushed themselves on many occasions beyond that reliability threshold that I talked about in relationship to the Formula One front wing. They get themselves to and often beyond that point where on occasion they might get up in the morning having had very little sleep, having had weeks of very little sleep and stress and anxiety that come along with building a business or whatever it is they're doing. They might get up on one particular morning and they'll be okay. They'll be just the right side of that reliability threshold line. And it might happen the next day too, and they'll continue to push themselves. But just like that front wing that got lighter and lighter and lighter, looking for more and more performance, taking their eye off the reliability side of things, just on one occasion, maybe a couple of occasions, you'll step over that reliability threshold line and like the Formula One car will fail. You as a human, in doing exactly the same thing, will also have a failure. And those failures can be catastrophic. Those failures, we never appreciate them until they happen. I have seen and spoken to so many people in the work that I now do, working with companies that are in the same boat. Companies that push their staff beyond that threshold of reliability because they are desperately trying to either get themselves out of trouble or searching for something that's going to enable them to achieve a budgetary target or a goal that they've set themselves. Perhaps they've got unrealistic targets that they are setting on their own workforce and each of those people are running desperately close to that reliability threshold. But I've seen individuals who've started their own companies. And as I said earlier, these are some of the worst cases. Some of the most common cases are people who work for themselves, where they can't rely on anybody else. They can't take a day off sick and get paid. They've just got to keep going. And in that situation, even if they're feeling terrible, even if they feel themselves getting close to that reliability threshold, they can't afford to stop. And so they keep going until they break. And that is where the big, 
big problem lies. Because when that breaks, like a Formula One front wing, sometimes it can be repaired. Sometimes you can send that wing back to the carbon shop and it can have a bit of a patch up. It can be repaired. And that can happen with us. Sometimes we can find a way to recover the situation. If we put our focus on the recovery process, on the repair process, we can find a way to patch ourselves up physically, mentally, whatever scars are formed off the back of that failure. We can often find a way out of it and a way around it, a way back to something like normality. But on occasions, well, like the front wing, on occasions, a failure or a component like that means it becomes scrap, means it's a catastrophic failure, a failure that's beyond repair. And there are occasions when that happens to us as humans too, where we push ourselves so hard and for so long, so consistently, without any focus on this element of reliability, health and well-being in terms of humans. If we do that consistently over and over again, we will have a very serious failure and it happens to people. The reason that I'm saying all of this is that on a personal level myself, I've had to start taking a look at the way I live my life in recent months, over the last year perhaps, because I was doing exactly this. I was pushing myself so hard that it was potentially going to start leading towards some kind of failure. Now, I never got anywhere quite near the point of failure. I realized and accepted and acknowledged the fact that I was pushing myself too hard, hopefully long before I ever got to a point of being a real problem. But I became aware of it. And the fact that I became aware of it, I think is quite unusual. A lot of people simply don't. I was lucky in that I had people around me, notably my wife, to start pointing out some things that had begun to change in my behavior as a result of pushing myself so hard. I was building my own business. I was helping to run a number of other businesses at the same time. I was doing lots of other jobs, lots of things that I do, all things that I love doing, by the way, but things that I was desperate to try and be successful in. Things that I thought the only way I can possibly be successful is to continue pushing and pushing and pushing. And if I was going to bed before midnight, I felt like I wasn't pushing hard enough. If I wasn't getting up first thing in the morning to start doing something productive again, it felt like I was letting myself down. And how could I ever be successful if I wasn't going to push myself way beyond the normal limits of human capability? But then what I realized was that, yes, hard work is a fundamental, a key fundamental for most people's success, particularly when it comes to businesses to work goals, to career goals. You've got to work hard. If you want to achieve something, you need to put in the hard work. Nobody gets the success that many of us are craving without that hard work and dedication and probably quite a lot of sacrifice. So those things are prerequisites. But the key, of course, is balancing it in exactly the same way I talked about Red Bull and Ferrari. Ferrari potentially finding a better balance between performance and reliability. Perhaps Red Bull much more erring on the side of performance, desperate to try and close that gap to Ferrari, potentially as a consequence of that continuous pushing for more and more extreme levels of performance are starting to breach that reliability threshold, are starting to see signs of weaknesses appearing, of failures appearing, which are costing them dearly in this championship. The key to our success as a human being is exactly the same. Yes, we have to push ourselves. Yes, we have to work. If we've got a goal that we believe in, that's under our control, of course you've got to work hard. Of course you've got to sacrifice some things to be able to achieve that. You've got to keep going because no one's going to believe in that project like you are. If you're starting a business, that's your baby. You've got to give it everything. You've got to go all in. But it's really important to temper that, to temper that all-in perspective, that all-in nature that particularly entrepreneurs have. You've got to temper that with an understanding that you have to have an equal amount of focus on the health and well-being of yourself. Now, that might sound like an extreme claim, 
an equal amount of focus on yourself and your health and well-being as you need to have on building this business or achieving this target or goal you've set yourself. But it's true because one can't function fully without the other. You will never reach your highest level of performance unless you're focusing on your own health and well-being. A Formula One driver will never reach his potential, will never be the best driver they can be unless they're in peak physical and mental condition when it comes to race day. If their mind's wandering, if they're stressed and anxious, if they're tired, they're not going to perform to the same level. And of course, it's exactly the same for us. If we're trying to parent our children in the best way possible, we are hampered in terms of our cognitive responses, in terms of our decision making, the way we deal with the challenges that children throw at us. We're hampered if we're tired. Now, I know all parents are tired, particularly parents of young children. Of course, you're always tired. It comes with the job. And that is why parenting is partly so difficult, because we're dealing with a very difficult situation almost all of the time whilst feeling tired. New parents, you know what I'm talking about here. But the point is that if we can't manage to allow ourselves some time some energy focused back on ourselves, we will never be the best parents we can be. We'll never be the best bosses we can be at work. We'll never be the best employees. We'll never achieve the things we're setting out to achieve. A Formula One driver will never be the best driver and it's exactly the same for you. doesn't matter if you're stacking shelves in a supermarket or building your own business as an entrepreneur. Achieving the very highest levels of success, which assuming everybody is aiming for. You can't do that unless your body, your machine that you're using to do these movements, to make these things happen, to operate through these procedures, to chase these targets and make the the big decisions, the tough decisions. You're never going to have that if that machine, if your body is not in the best state that it can be. That means physically and mentally. And that means putting some of your time, putting some of your energy and focus into making it the best it can be. I always had this real dilemma when I flew on an aeroplane, and I've done a lot of that. And every time I sit on an aeroplane before takeoff, and the stewards and stewardesses come on and give you that safety briefing, part of that safety briefing always says, In the event of an emergency, should the oxygen masks be deployed, they'll fall from a panel above your head. And then they say, always make sure to fit your mask first before helping children and others around you. And every single time I heard that message, I would think that's ridiculous. I'm really sorry. If my child is sat next to me on this seat and we go into an emergency situation, I mean, I'd do anything for my kids. I would literally give my life for my children, as most parents probably would. I'm putting their mask on first. Of course, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm making sure they're okay. And you know, it's the wrong decision. It's the wrong thing to do. The reason it's the wrong thing to do, and I have only really come to realise this fully over the past couple of years. It's the wrong thing to do because if you don't put your oxygen mask on first, You may not even be in a position to help your child or the people around you because you might be suffering yourself. You might be struggling to breathe. You might be struggling to a point where you're literally incapacitated and no longer able to help the person that you really want to help. Now, if you think about that concept just for a moment, that moment on the aeroplane of putting your mask on first, you can apply that very same theory to all the things I've been talking about. If you want to build your business as an entrepreneur, if you want to help your children to be the best they can be as they grow up and take on the challenges of life, if you want to be the best employee, the best boss, no matter what it is, the best friend, whatever it is that you have a challenge with every day, whatever it is you want to achieve every day, whatever goals and targets you want to hit, Your best chance of hitting those targets is when you have put some time into looking after yourself first. Put your own oxygen mask on before thinking about helping others or doing anything else. 
You've got to get yourself into the best physical and mental condition to give you the best shot at being able to deliver on all of those targets that you're setting yourself. For some people, that seems like an alien concept, and it definitely did to me a couple of years ago. It felt like a cop-out. It felt like I was wasting valuable time that I could have been putting into my business if I was just spending time reading, taking time for myself, going to the gym, preparing that something that takes a little bit longer but might be a lot healthier when it comes to the meals that I'm eating. All of those things which might seem trivial to the person who's desperate, desperately trying to build a business, struggling to pay a wage bill, trying to make the next investment round before the company collapses. I get all of those pressures. I've been through them all, believe me. But the best way to get through those challenges is when you have looked after yourself first of all. So it's something that I'm now trying to work much harder at. It's something that I'm trying to put a lot more of my time and energy in. And it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time. It's more about a mindset than actually taking up huge chunks of your day. Creating habits that put you into that right frame of mind. Putting that focus on your health and well-being somewhere higher up your priority list is all it takes. And that changes the way you think about things. And actually, all it might be is switching out a block of time that you currently put in somewhere else for something that might benefit you more. It doesn't even have to take up very much time from your day. Creating a routine around bedtimes and sleep times. Unbelievable how effective that is. I now wear a sleep tracker that monitors how much sleep I get, but also what level of sleep I get, what quality of sleep I get. And it's unbelievable how that improves when you start to get yourself into a routine of more regular bedtimes and waking up times. I mean, it literally is there in the data. I mean, you know me, I love a bit of data to analyze. I've now got data from a sleep tracker and I can see trends forming from the things that I do in the daytime and how that impacts on my sleep and therefore how my sleep impacts on my recovery and then how good I feel the next day and how prepared I am to go into battle. How far away from my reliability threshold I am when I start taking on the challenges of the next day. This is real. This is something that I'm going through a journey of discovery with right now, still, all the time, learning new things. And I'm desperate to learn new things about this. But believe me, I'm seeing results off the back of it. And look, we started this conversation talking about the Australian Grand Prix and how Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing have an inherent set of reliability problems. They're chasing performance and perhaps they just need to change some of their habits, change some of their ways of thinking to make sure that reliability gets the same level of focus that outright performance does. It's a constant battle that Formula One teams are always having to manage, always having to try and overcome, to find the best solutions between reliability and outright performance, the best compromise. And that's exactly what it is. It's a compromise. Of course, if we only have a certain amount of time in our day as a, as a human being, we could choose to focus a huge amount of that on the thing that we're trying to achieve, on running our household, managing our children, managing our business. Of course, we could dedicate a huge amount of time to that and in the short term, probably achieve some great results. But is it going to be sustainable? No, it's not. Max Verstappen's Red Bull racing car was blisteringly fast over a single lap. In qualifying, it was a very close match to the Ferraris. But it wasn't sustainable because when it came to the race, they had tyre troubles, they had blistering and overheating and graining and eventually a reliability issue that meant they didn't even see the chequered flag. I don't know if it was short-term thinking. I don't know if it was a failure on the part of the Red Bull management team in terms of where their focus was. As I say, I don't want to make judgment on that too much. I'm using this literally as an example or a metaphor for our lives. But we should be having those same challenges every day. We should be having those same conversations, those same compromises around where we spend our time. 
do we want to push ourselves to and often beyond the limit to achieve some kind of short-term success? And maybe that's okay. Maybe that is what we want to do. But if we're looking for something more long-term and more sustainable, perhaps we need to shift the focus back a bit. Now, both of those outcomes are okay. Both of those scenarios or philosophies are okay, depending on what you want. There are times where all of us have to just break the rules and go all in on something because we're either up against it. We've got a huge challenge that life has thrown us. We've got a deadline at work that simply can't be missed or an opportunity that comes our way. And if we want to take that opportunity, we need to throw everything at it. That's okay. It's okay. Sometimes those things are absolutely worth the sacrifice, but they're short-term wins. The problem comes where we become habitual in that way of thinking, where that becomes our life, where we're constantly looking to break the rules, where we're constantly looking to break ourselves and push ourselves over that limit to try and always be looking for an opportunity, a little win in life to achieve something big. We can't keep going like that forever. Just like the car will break, we will break. And on occasions, those breakages, those reliability problems, those failures that we suffer as human beings can be very difficult to come back from. So my advice and what I would want to encourage people to think about this week is, do you spend enough time on yourself? Are you far enough away from your reliability threshold that on the odd occasion, you're not going to break? That one day you might be fine, but the next day maybe not. Are you in that zone? And I'm sure many people listening to this will be shouting, going, well, yes, I'm in that zone. Of course I'm in that zone. That's life. I've got tough challenges. I've got all these children and I've got to work my two jobs to make ends meet. Times are hard right now. I absolutely know that. I absolutely feel your pain. I have been there myself, believe me. But the problem is that whilst you're trying to do all these things just to survive, when you break, and that is what will happen eventually, that's what the science tells us. That is just nature. You will break if you continually push yourself over and beyond your safe limits. And when you break, you won't have the capability, the capacity to continue to survive. So whilst you think there's no other way right now, you've just got to do what you've got to do to survive, that's fine. But if it continues for the long term, it might end up not working out the way you hoped. And maybe a very small change, and that is literally all it has to be, a small change, even just spending a little bit of time thinking about this, thinking about these new ways of doing things, thinking about the things you're listening to in this podcast, just thinking about it. Maybe this podcast might just pop those thoughts into your mind. And it could just be that thinking about those things differently might be enough to start tweaking some tiny things about the way you operate. Have a think about putting your own oxygen mask on first before you start thinking of helping anybody else. Before you start thinking of doing all the things you want to do, make sure you've started to look after yourself just a little bit. Make sure that you are in the prime optimum situation physically and mentally to enable you to go out into the world and take on the challenges that life throws at us. That is a lesson that Formula One has to deal with on a weekly basis. It's something that I have learnt following my years in Formula One and it's something that I know we should all start to think a little bit more about. There's your homework for this week. Take that one away and just give it a tiny bit of thought. That's all I'm asking you to do. Think about it. Just explore it and see if it could possibly help you. Right, before we move things on, I just want a quick reminder to say that if you are enjoying the podcast, this one or any of the other 19 that are in the current uh, back catalogue so far, please do give it a like, give it a follow, subscribe wherever it is you're listening. And if you can, leave me a quick review and rating, particularly in the Apple Podcast Store. I know I say it every week, 
but it's really important and valuable to me and to this podcast in terms of how it can grow. If you could spare just two minutes and that's all it will take, I would encourage you to please go and do that. And if you can't do any of those things, just send me a message, share the podcast around, do whatever you can to help engage with the podcast, to grow it, to share it, to get as many people as possible involved and listening and part of this growing community. Thank you very much. Right, let's move it on then, because the note that I wrote in my diary this week was actually centred around some of my own parenting challenges. We've talked about some earlier on in the podcast. I had some of my own this week. Now, everybody, every parent knows the feeling where children are playing up. It's school holidays here in the UK right now, so children are off school, Um, but I'm still working. My wife's still working, so we've got some challenges around that. But everybody deals with these kind of things. So you feel my pain, other parents out there, when the children start misbehaving or just playing up a little bit or just starting to form habits that you don't necessarily approve of or like. Now, my son, he's 11 years old, almost 12. They have got gaming systems. They've got an Xbox They've also got mobile phones recently since they started going to secondary school. Now, I knew when I handed over a mobile phone to my son and my daughter, they're twins, that we would be opening up a whole new set of challenges as parents as a result of that, giving them tech screens that we all know we become at least to some extent addicted to was opening up a can of worms. And I was aware of that. But I also saw the benefits of having it in terms of communication, in terms of me and my wife being able to get in touch with him and vice versa now that he's going off getting the bus to school. So that was the decision process around giving them a phone. What has happened, and it happened even more so over the school holidays, is that they have become more and more addicted to them. They have become more and more reliant upon them. And in any spare moment over the last week when we weren't physically doing something together, they'd be staring at a screen. Now, I have found and noticed, together with my wife over recent months, that when my son, particularly around the gaming, becomes more and more heavily reliant or heavily addicted to the gaming situations, he his behaviour begins to change in a negative manner. He becomes less communicative with us. He becomes less friendly. He becomes less personable. These are character traits that we're seeing happening as a clear result of him spending too much time on his games. I know that because when he's got himself into trouble and one of the things I do as a punishment is take away his gaming for a week, his behaviour turns immediately back to the little lad that I know who is really super friendly, who's really engaging, who comes and sits and chats and wants to do things with us and goes outside to play football or basketball, who does things, life things that were all there before the screens and the tech came into his world. So when he gets that tech back again and it becomes a big feature in his life, which it has done over the last week or so, and I'll take responsibility for a lot of that, we've allowed that to happen, I had to step in this week and pull him to one side after another bout of misbehaviour and threaten to take the tech away. But this time I did it differently because I sat him down and I was angry because he'd done something wrong for like the third time. You know what I'm talking about, parents. He continued done the same thing wrong and the frustration on my part was building to the point where I felt myself on the brink of just taking away all of his screens, all of his tech, banning him from it, because I saw that as a really easy solution to this problem of his behavioural issues. But then in that moment when I'd sat him down and I was in the midst of this slight frustration and rage building inside of me, I remembered a moment, and this is genuinely true, this is what happened, I remembered a moment from back in my time at McLaren when I had an interaction with Ron Dennis. And the way that Ron Dennis dealt with a situation that must have been quite frustrating to him completely changed the way that I saw our relationship and the situation that we were facing turned on its head in that moment from a few words that he said to me. 
Now, in that moment, I'll give you a bit of context because back then what we were talking about was Ron Dennis talking to us, the pit stop crew, about how we could make pit stops better. Now, to give you a bit more context about that, this was back in the early to mid 2000s. McLaren at the time were one of, if not the leading team when it came to pit stops. Me, as part of that pit stop crew, along with all of my colleagues, were probably a little bit arrogant about the fact that we were the leading pit stop team. And when I say that, I mean we were the quickest to change four wheels and tyres back then. We were the most dependable, the most reliable. We developed a number of solutions around the pit stops and around the pit stop crew to give us significant advantages, which is why we had all of those accolades to our name. And so on this particular day where Ron Dennis had gathered the pit stop crew together and said, guys, we need to find a way to be better at pit stops. We need to reinvent ourselves and think up some new solutions to improve on our pit stop times. The reaction that I had and the reaction of many of my colleagues was, hang on a minute, Ron, what are you talking about? Why on earth do we need to go about and start changing things? Because actually the pit stops are great right now. No one else can touch us. Everyone's chasing us. What we're doing right now is working. Why on earth would we want to go about changing that and doing things differently? I can imagine that reaction was probably very frustrating to Ron. Ron had a vision of constantly looking for new ways of doing things. That was his ethos. He was always looking for the next opportunity. And even if you were the best, just continuing to do the same things was never going to keep you the very best because everyone else is nipping at your heels. So Ron was constantly pushing us to look for new opportunities. But we couldn't see it in the moment. And our reaction to sort of say, well, why? What are you talking about, Ron? Why do we need to change it? I can imagine in Ron's, from Ron's perspective, being really annoying, really frustrating, perhaps even enraging to him perhaps even in a similar way to the way I was feeling sat in front of my son earlier this week with his continual misbehaviour and poor attitude. And yet, back at McLaren in that day, when we reacted to Ron's mandate to go and be better at pit stops in that dismissive, arrogant way, Ron Dennis turned round and he said to us, guys, I can't tell you how to be better at pit stops. He said, I'm not the expert in pit stops. He said, you guys are. It's you guys who need to tell me how we can go about being better at pit stops. You've got the experience. You've got the expertise. You are the best placed people in our entire organisation to lead any potential change when it comes to making pit stops better. And he was talking to me and to the few colleagues I had around me. Those few words from Ron were so empowering to me that all of a sudden my experience and expertise was being valued. It was being valued by the most powerful person in this organisation. That value was being placed really highly within the organisation. Nobody else, a thousand people in our company, nobody was better placed than me and my colleagues to shape the direction that we were going to go in terms of developing pit stops. What a powerful moment that was for us. It changed the game for us. It changed the way we thought about that because all of a sudden we had some element of control as to where we were going to go. We could shape this change. We could lead it. And of course, we were competitive people. We took on that challenge. We puffed our chests out with after after those words that Ron had, had said to us and we went away and we took on the challenge and of course the rest is history we know pit stops continue to improve at a dramatic rate towards where we are today now bringing this back to me in my front room with my son after a series of misbehavioral episodes and poor attitude from him towards me now the easy option for me was to take away his gaming and tech. Because I know that that will result, from past experience, I know that will result in his behaviour coming back towards where I want it to be. That's a really easy solution to me. Ron Dennis, back in the conversation around pit stops, 
could have easily done the same thing. He could have easily had already spent time working out what he thought was the best way to go. And he could have delivered a set of instructions, a set of protocols that we simply had to go and follow in terms of how we went about doing our pit stops differently. He could have told us what to do and then just ordered us to do it. But how would that have made us feel, the pit stop crew? It would have made us feel terrible. It would have made us feel like all of our experience was not being valued in any way. The fact that we were the best at what we were doing was almost going to be dismissed if it had gone that way. And somebody with less experience than us in that field would have come along and said, right, forget what you've been doing today. I want you to do it differently like this tomorrow. And even if we disagreed, we'd have had to just go ahead and do it. We wouldn't have felt good about it. We wouldn't have felt empowered. We wouldn't have had any positivity around what we were doing. We'd have felt less motivated. And probably in the end, it might have negatively affected our pit stop performance. And so when I was sat there with my son on the sofa, about to burst into this long spiel, this speech about what I wanted him to do in terms of his behaviour and how I was on the brink of taking his gaming and tech away, I remembered that conversation with Ron. I remembered how I'd felt when Ron turned the conversation back and put some of that power into my hands, some of that responsibility into my hands. He gave me, in that moment, the opportunity to put my own ideas forward that might work for me as well as him. Something that we could come up with that would deliver a better pit stop time, but in the way we wanted to do it, in the way we felt it could best work. So we went about that challenge full of motivation, full of inspiration, desperate to achieve what we wanted to achieve because we were driving it. And so my conversation with my son flipped on its head in that moment. When I recalled that conversation, I stopped myself from just immediately banning him and taking all of his gaming and tech away. And I turned the conversation around and I said to him, listen, this is what I want to achieve. I want your behavior to come back to these kind of parameters. I want you to behave more like this and less like this. I see this behavior that I don't like happening when you become so heavily reliant and addicted to the gaming and the tech. When I take away the tech, I see you morphing back towards the kind of behaviors that I want to see from you. I said to him, so I have two options here. I could just take away all of your gaming and tech because I know, because I've done it before, I know it gets me the result that I want. I said, but I also know that if I do that, you're going to be really unhappy. You're going to be really frustrated. And although you may deliver on the behaviours that I expect from you, I also know that I'm not going to get the happy little boy that I also want to see, the bubbly nature, the friendly, the fun side of you that I know and love. Because deep down, you're going to be angry and frustrated about the decision and the way I made that decision and enforced it upon you. And so I said, the other option that I have is that I want you to tell me how you think we should move forward. What do you think is the solution here? Knowing that the problems that I have with your behavior right now, how can we find a solution where you behave in the way that I want, but yet you still get to keep the gaming and the tech that you love? Can we get it to manageable levels where I'm happy and you're happy? I'm getting the results that I want. You're still getting some of the things that you want. And we sat and had a conversation and it had a it took a while to get to the point where I wanted it to get to, because in the beginning he didn't understand. He got cross. He got angry, he got frustrated. He didn't appreciate what I was trying to do, but I persisted knowing what it feels like to be on the other end of that conversation from my recollection of that day with Ron Dennis. It was a different subject matter, but the way that I felt would have probably been very similar to the way that my son was feeling when he finally gets this message, when he gets that I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to empower him in this process that I want him to go through. 
I don't want it to just be a case of me saying, this is what I want you to do, go and do it. Because I have an appreciation that the gaming and some of the communication tools that he has on his phone are valuable to him. I mean, I love gaming myself. I'm not against it. I'm not against phones. I'm not against social media or any of those things. He doesn't have social media, by the way, but he does have this phone. He's in communication with his friends on his phone. The gaming is a great way of keeping entertained. It's light relief. It's release from some of the pressures of life. I totally get that. I'm into it, I'm into it myself. So I don't just want to remove that from his life at this point. I want to give him the opportunity to be able to maintain some of the benefits of those things and yet be able to deliver on the behaviours that I expect from him. And so the conversation eventually ensued where I got him to suggest some potential solutions. And eventually, after a period of time, and what started as a difficult conversation, he started putting forward some of his own ideas about limiting the time that he spends on his gaming, about limiting which days he spends on there. He came to me later that day and showed me that he set time limits on his own phone by which all the apps shut down at a certain moment every single evening. He did that of his own accord. And I appreciated the effort that he was making to try and achieve the things that I wanted him to achieve in terms of behaviours. He was putting effort in doing that. He was leading that change himself. He was empowered to make some of his own decisions. And look, if it doesn't work, we'll have to go back in and have another conversation. But what I saw from him was a huge amount of effort throughout the rest of that day to engage in conversations, to offer to come on a dog walk with me when normally he'd always take the option to stay on his games instead unless I forced him but because he knew that's what I was expecting because he knew that's what I wanted from him he'd come up and offer it and look we're a couple of days on from that now and we're still seeing some of these benefits that I hope to see from having a conversation like that with him whether it lasts or not, only time will tell and we'll keep an eye on it and maybe I'll let you know in the future. But if it changes for the negative or even for a positive, I will go back in and we'll have a further conversation. I have told him on a number of occasions since then how proud I am of him for the things that he's trying to do, the effort he's trying to put in to achieve those things for me. And as a result of that effort, he's still able to enjoy the benefits that he gets from his gaming, albeit at a much more limited, safer, healthier limit. So I guess the, the lesson here and something that I definitely take from my time at McLaren and try now to move forward with it, and this was just the latest example of that. In the business world, this is something I use all the time. But on a personal level, as a parent, I think this is the first time I've really thought about it in that way, in that if you're trying to influence somebody to get someone to change their behavior, getting somebody to achieve something either for you or for them, if you want somebody to do something a certain way, you can either dictate it if you're in a position of power. You can either tell them that's what they have to do and they have to do it now. I want you to do this my way. And lots of people operate like that and it can get results. But in a similar way to what we talked about before, is it going to get long term sustainable results or is it a quick short term fix? Are people operating on a system of fear in that scenario? Well, I didn't want that. I didn't want that for my own son and I wouldn't want that for the people working in a company that I'm running. I want the people in my business, in my company, to feel like they are empowered to make their own choices and their own decisions. I mean, one of the biggest things that I talk to companies when I go and see them every week is I tell them and remind them how valuable the people are inside their own organization. The people that have such huge experience, some in real specific areas where they are the absolute experts in their particular field. 
How can the management come along and tell them they know better than the people that are doing the job every single day? It's incredible how many companies don't involve the people on the shop floor, the people doing the thing, the job, in any conversations around changing the processes of that job, the equipment for that job, the way that job is done, the timeframes that job can be done under. And so this lesson surely is that if we want to change those behaviours, if we want to look for new ways of doing things, find opportunities, tapping into the resource that is the people in a business, the people in your family, your friends, your children even, tapping into them as a resource to find solutions has so many potential benefits. Not only sometimes are they better placed to find those solutions or to offer those solutions, but the psychological impact of you empowering them to do that, engaging with them rather than dictating to them, has a huge psychological impact that can have many knock-on positive effects after that. I'm seeing them already with my son. Ron Dennis saw them with us as a pit stop crew because we embraced the challenge once we felt empowered to lead the challenge. We went away and probably worked way above and beyond the call of duty to find gains in every single area. The result was not only a faster, more dependable and reliable pit stop crew, but also a happier, more motivated pit stop crew that would continue to look for improvements constantly moving forward. That's long-term success being generated by just a different way of talking to and engaging with the people on the other end of the conversation. So I guess it's a message for everybody, for parents, but as well as people in work and in business and in companies. The way you treat and engage with the people on the other end of a conversation with you has a huge impact, even bigger than on the most obvious levels. It's not just about getting the thing you want done, done. It's about how you go about encouraging them to do that thing and whether it generates longer term results off the back of it. Are they willing to do more things for you in the future? Are they willing to offer up more suggestions to you in the future? In terms of me and my son, I hope it's going to bring us even closer together because I hope he'll appreciate what I was trying to do in that conversation. The early signs are that maybe he does. And I hope as he gets older, if we continue on this road, he will continue to appreciate what I'm trying to do with him, how I'm treating him. He'll appreciate that he gets the opportunity, in most cases, to put forward his own suggestions. Now, I don't always have to accept those as his dad. A boss of a company, a manager, doesn't always have to accept the suggestions or the ideas from their staff. But what they should always do, in my opinion, is open up, open up a workflow that allows those ideas to come forward, because that can only make you stronger. Having more brains, more brain power being put onto any potential challenge looking for a solution can only make you as a company stronger. And I hope that exactly the same thing is happening right now with me and my son in terms of our relationship. So look, something else to think about moving forward, something that I took directly from the world of Formula One and I'm now applying to my role as a dad. Who would have thought that would be the case all those years ago when I was just looking for a faster pit stop? But look, this is the beauty of Formula One. It offers lessons in so many areas that I think have value to so many people. And that's exactly why this podcast came about. So look, a couple of things to think about over the course of this week. Please, as I said earlier, if you have just a spare moment, and that literally is all it will take, please take a moment to just give me a rating and review, especially in the Apple Podcast Store. But wherever it is you're listening to these podcasts, if you can rate and review it, please do. If you can follow or subscribe to the channel, again, I'd love it if you do that. And look, I would love it even more. I'd love to set you this little challenge this week. If you're willing to take it on, just share the podcast to one other person. 
either share it on your social media platforms. If you do that, definitely tag me in. I'd love to say thank you. Or just drop it to somebody in a WhatsApp group. Send it to one of your friends. Send it to a fellow Formula One fan. Send it to anybody that you think might benefit from some of the conversations that we have on the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. And I will be eternally grateful. So listen, plenty to think about. I hope you have a fantastic week. Whatever it is you're doing, don't forget. Do the right things and do the things right. Ta-da. Thank you.